0: And uh, we've been talking about uh, Ephesians 5 and being filled with the Spirit and what that looks like. And uh, we've been looking through uh, that passage in Ephesians 5 there. First, the individuals, how it looks like for you in verse, verses 19, 20, and 21. And then we started dealing with uh, the marriage. That's the first thing Paul deals with is marriage and starts with the wives. And we've been talking about the wives the last couple weeks but this morning, with it being Easter, I, I got to thinking about some of the, the uh, things that have been coming back from a result of, uh, of those messages on the wives. By the way, we have one more on the wives, and then we get to dump all over the husbands, okay? So the ladies are going, phew, good. And the guys are going, great. But really, it's not. It should never really be that way. Uh, the old saying, happy life, happy wife, is really not a good saying. It should be happy spouse, happy house, because it's really about both parties being, being good to go. And that's really what we've been looking at. But with Easter and all, I got to, and I got to thinking about some of the, the, the comments and the questions and everything, and it just draw, brought me back to this issue about Resurrection Day. We, we, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday every day of our lives. Uh, and we don't have to have a date on the calendar to do that, but because most of us think about that at this time, uh, Romans 3, uh, verse 24 and 25 really just kind of crept into my mind over this past week in dealing with uh, different folks' emails and comments and calls and questions, which I don't mind dealing with, but it really just kind of brought back, and it's apropos that today's Easter. Verse 24, being justified freely by... His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remissions of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Our dearly Father, I thank you for the day. We thank you for who we are in your Son. And as we look and just really be reminded of all that you had planned, purposed, and accomplished through the cross work of your Son, we can just say thank you and give you the honor and the glory in that. In your name we pray. Amen. Verse 25, the first part of that verse is what we're going to look at, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. When we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, and when we're talking about having things be, in our study in Romans 8, walking after the Spirit, minding the things after the Spirit, we learn that the things of the Spirit, the, the being filled with the Spirit is having the Spirit grip your life and to be preoccupied in your life with the Lord Jesus Christ and with who you are. And in what better way, I've said this over the last months, years, decades, centuries, millennium, that you need to preach the cross to yourself on a daily basis. And this is the part of the cross that you really need to pay attention to, about what he did. Notice verse 25, Whom God hath set forth. The same God that just said in verse verse 19, look back at verse 19, Now we know that the things whatsoever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The same God that just said the world's guilty, all of it, all of you, sinners, all are under sin, all are guilty. He's now going to tell us, look at what I just did for you, though. You are guilty. Your sentence in the courtroom of the Justice Hall of God is guilt, eternal damnation, lake of fire, Hell, you know, what wonderful Easter message, right? <laughs> right? But that's what you deserved. But he says, What? Look at what I did for you, whom God set forth, verse 25. I, I love that, set forth. I'm gonna show him off. I'm gonna put him on display. I'm gonna set him up there. He's gonna have a place of prominence now. Come come hold on here and come over with me to Galatians 3. I I think about that. He set forth. He he set him up. God didn't hide Christ. He didn't hide this. He actually made a a, a world, a spectacle out of him. Galatians 3, verse 1. O foolish Galatians who hath bewitched you, that that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been... Evidently set forth, crucified among you. Evidently, the evidence. When you come back to Romans 3, what did he do? He took, he took Calvary and he laid in the evidence. Over there in, in Acts 1, he says, By many infallible proofs I've proved to you who I am. He's seen of, there's 14 appearances that, that, that the Lord goes through after the resurrection. And he says, hey, there's been no question you can go into a court of law and under the rules of evidentiary hearing and and authenticity prove the fact that, you know what happened? He died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And you know what the court would say? Good, it's proven. Evidently, but what? Set forth, put on display. Doesn't hide it. But when he put Christ on display, he did it in a very specific location. He was born of a woman, the Virgin Mary, in a, in a manger with the shepherds out on the field. No wise men yet. They come a couple years later, okay? And that was a, that was a tremendous event in the, in, in the history of Israel. But you know what? The world, they didn't pay attention to it. They didn't even know what was going on. you know what they saw? They just saw the sky was a little brighter that evening because of, the, of the, what was going on. When the wise men do come to Herod and the chief priests and they say, hey, where is this Jesus, king of the Jews? They, they're not excited. Oh, man, he's over here. Come look. They're like, you go find him and then report back so we can get him. You see, they weren't welcoming to him. That's how his life began. How does his life end? Same way. The Lord is taken, turns himself over into the garden with Judas. They walk him up into Caiaphas' the elders' chief priest's house, and they have a mock trial, not even a real deal. They do it under the color of night, and they're not supposed to. It broke their law. And he finds him guilty. They find him guilty. You know what they found him guilty of? Saying that he was God. You know that? That's what they found him guilty of. Because he kept saying, I'm God. <laughs> I'm the son of God. And they, that's blasphemy, can't do that. But they couldn't kill him because they didn't have legal jurisdiction to kill because he hadn't violated any of the laws. So where did they take him? To Herod, to Pilate. Pilate learns he's a Galilean, t- turns him over there to, to Herod. Herod says, uh-uh, dude, he belongs to you. And back and forth. And you know what Herod does three times? He's an innocent man. He's a just man. I find no fault with him. Herod had the power to cut him loose, but he didn't. He's chicken. He's a coward. So he set upon him to beat on him a little bit. I've, you know, you think about Herod. Think about a Gentile. If I just beat on him a little bit, maybe it'll pacify the mass. Guess what? It didn't, did it? He beat on him. They're like, no. The Lord, the Lord just sat there and took it, by the way. You read the accounts. He doesn't object at all. He doesn't say, hey, how dare you touch me? Don't you? He, actually, when Pilate says, they say, they say you're, the, you're the son of God, he goes, "So that's right. Did, you, did, did somebody tell you to say that or are you just figuring that out right now? He would never. He did it because there's a plan. There's a purpose here. Herod says, I know what I'll do. I'm sorry, Pilate. If I say Herod, I meant Pilate. If I say Pilate, I meant Pilate, okay? Pilate says, I know what I'll do. We got this guy over here called Barabbas, and he's a murderer. He's a a thief. I'll just say, hey, who do you want? Surely they can't let a murderer go. And what does the Jews do? Let him go. We want Christ crucified. We'll have no king but Caesar. At that moment, by the way, they gave up that political power again. They had been gaining. They let it go again. Notice verse 25, whom God set forth. Put him out there on display. The Lord, is Pilate knows, it's not going to work. The Roman soldiers have beat him. Over in Psalms, we'll get there eventually here this morning. You didn't have anything to do today, did you? (laughs) Okay. And they take that cat of nine tails and they plow his back as Psalms says they would. And you know what the Lord did? He just took it. He would wince because of his humanity would hurt. They come over and they take a... Think about seasoned Roman soldiers. These aren't palace guards fluffing dress and dress blues and all that. So these guys are down in the trenches. They know how to hurt people. They know how to beat them. They've beaten Christ so much so that he can't even carry his own cross. They've got to get a helper out of the crowd to do it. They take a thing of crowns and push it down on his head and say, ah, oh, king of the Jews, mocking, whom God has set forth to be. He was set forth there. you think about that. He hangs there on Calvary. He was set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. He set Jesus Christ up there. He hung him there. He took his own son. Come over to chapter 8 of Romans. He took his own son. Romans 8, verse 32. And when he took Christ and he put him on open display, 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? What did God do? What did the Father do? He held his son personally accountable for your sin he spared not his son in other words God didn't say hey that hey jailman that's my son over there take it easy on him he never said that hey judge can we here's a little 20 can you make it easy for him he never did that he did what he spared not he let it go so in 325 when he spared not his son, he became the what? He set forth to be a propitiation. And the, the story of, of being the propitiation in Scripture is not a beautiful story. It is not a nice story. It's not a pretty story. It's rather a story of God not holding back his wrath and his judgment on sin. He delivered him up. When God looked at his son, you know what he viewed him as in this moment? Guilty. The courtroom has been set. God has laid out the scriptures. He's laid out the case against humanity. And the judgment is guilty. 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 And the son walks in and says, Your Honor, may I approach the bench? What is their sentence? Death. And he says, I'll take it. Put it on me. Let me come and let me be the sacrifice. I will take care of it. And the father, the judge, he says, good. It's good. Then he looks at man and he says, you see what this man's doing for you, my son? Accept that. You know what man says? Nope, do it myself. I can do it. And the father says, you idiot. I just set a provision for you, an escape route, and you're still stuck in yourself. Come over to Hebrews chapter 9. So when you read verse 25, whom God set forth to be a propitiation, that fully satisfying payment that fully satisfying sacrifice. It's not something to just go, oh, that's a whimsical story, and to run back to the Old Testament and look at all the stuff. No, this is serious business. Because it's set forth in a situation, in a scenario, that it involves your soul for eternity. Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Look there at verse 11. I just want to look at that issue this morning, the, that issue of the propitiation. Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ being come, a high priest of good things, to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. Christ, no, notice this, the, the types, the pictures. What is Christ? He's a, he, he is they, the high priest. There is a tabernacle. Verse 12. Neither by the blood of bulls, I'm sorry, of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Notice what he did. How many times did he go into the holy place? One time. With whose blood? His blood. Now you've got to think about this. When he hangs on Calvary, he Christ, he is our Passover. When he hangs there and he's killed, he's buried, three day resurrected, the first group of people that he runs into is Mary Magdalene. And he says, you can't touch me. And she goes, but I want to, <laughs> because you're my Savior. And he says, you can't, I haven't been about my father's business. And in less than three hours... He leaves earth and he goes up into the third heaven, into the holy place, and does what verse 12 tells you he does. He's obtained eternal redemption for us. He goes into the Holy of Holies, the holy place there in the, te- in the temple in New Jerusalem, and he walks in and he says, Father, it is done, it is finished, it is paid. It's done. By the way, he then leaves and comes back. And the second appearance is to a group of ladies, and they hug him. They can touch him. Why? Because he's been through the purification process. Verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and of ashes of a heifer sprinkled, uh, sprinkling the unclean sanctify to, to the purifying of flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purged your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Notice, it's the blood of the what? Of the sacrifice. He took care of it. He's the one that went and did it. Drop down to verse 22. And almost all these, all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remissions. What has to be shed? If we're going to purge the sin, if we're going to cover the debt, what has to be? Blood's got to be shed. That's why in the five sacrifices that are labeled out for Israel to do, four of them require the shedding of blood. By the way, how many Gospels do we have? Four. What do we see in those Gospels? We see the life of Christ, and it ends with him shedding his blood. The fifth one, the meal offering, doesn't require shedding of blood. That's Acts, by the way. It correlates to Acts. So he's got to do what? He's got to go shed blood. Verse 25, "...nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entreats into the holy place every year with the blood of others." For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Verse 15, quickly. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. For what cause? He went and became the sacrifice. And he literally becomes the foundation of the new covenant. And he literally becomes for Israel that sacrifice where they can go and have their redemption. Peter's going to say, if we don't get over there, I'm going to tell you. He says, he is. Uh, we have a propitiation over there in Christ. He fully satir- satisfies all of eternal life, our eternal life, Israel's eternal life, hinges upon the truth of his sacrifice that perfect sacrifice, the one that he did once for all. And that's the issue of the propitiation. Come back with me to Isaiah. Propitiation, folks, has everything to do with God, who in love did for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. Man will say, yeah, but I can do it. And there's a hell full of souls that have tried that and would love to give you testimony that it doesn't work. The rich man in Lazarus, rich man goes down there. He's on the torment side. And you know what he says? He begs Abraham, send some back from the dead and tell my brothers, don't come down here. (laughs) You know what Abraham says? They've got Moses. Let them read Moses. You know Why? Because nobody's going to believe a guy that rose from the dead. Because guess who's coming? Jesus Christ, he's going to raise from the dead. And you know what man does? They ignore him. They ridicule him. They reject him. The propitiation, folks, has to do with something that God did. He's the redemptive payment. He is the sole savior. He didn't need any help to accomplish this. He didn't need any attaboys. He didn't need anything. He just needed to know the plan. and the, it, it, the issue of propitiation is a transaction between God the Father and God the Son. You're not involved in it. You're allowed to participate in it by faith. That's critical. That issue, that transaction that carried on between the Father and the Son... Demonstrates the faithfulness of both. The father had the plan of redemption. The son participated. I can, you know, I think about stuff and I get a little goofy and about in my imagination. And I'm sitting here thinking about Proverbs 8 and before the foundation of the world and the Godhead has their eternal eternity conference and they're getting together and they're talking about what they're going to go do over here. And, and the Lord says, well, you're, we're going to do, the Father says, well, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and this. And son, you're going to do this, this, and this. And spirit, you're going to do this, this, and this. And I can just see the Son sitting there going, put me in, put me in. Can we go now? Can we go now? Let's do it now. Just the excitement and the eagerness to go and do what the plan of the father was. And I would think the spirit sitting there going, dude, chill out. We'll get there. Cuz the spirit's pretty cool. He really is. He's mellow, he's relaxed. He's got to deal with you on a daily basis. So he's got to be. <laughs> he's chill. He really is. And the spirit the son's like, "No, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's put me in. Put me in. Put me in. I've been reading Mark. I I mean, you get exhausted reading 16 chapters of Mark." <gasps> Just on go go, he's energized, you know, bouncing off the wall. The transaction here between the father and the son. The son comes in to do what the father would do, and he delights in it. And he does what the father wants done, regardless of what is to be done. Isaiah 53, great chapter about the Calvary and the cross work, Uh, this is not talking to you and I as members of the body of Christ, but it does give us a look into the mindset of Christ. 53 verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to what? To bruise him. What did Romans 8 say? God spared not his son. It pleased the Lord. This is the father to do what? To bruise him. Now, I don't know any dad that enjoys bruising a kid. You know what? But it's not about enjoyment. It's about this is what the plan required. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be what satisfied the justice and the holiness of and the righteousness of the Godhead justice says you have to have perfect righteousness that's the standard you don't have it he does he comes into that courtroom and says, I'll take on their penalty. I'll take on their sentence so that by death I can then give them what? Perfect righteousness. They can have eternal life then. By the way, that's the end of Ephesians 5, or Romans 5. Notice what he says here. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And he, he hath put him to grief. Now watch, when thou shalt, what's that word? Make his soul an offering for sin. That is the doctrine of imputation if you need a theological word this morning. This is where he, the transformation literally happens. Where 2 Corinthians 5, he says he was made to be sin. It's going to happen right here. It's the father offering the son to himself. By the way, for sin, he shall prolong his. He shall see his seed. He's when he says he shall see his seed. He's talking about the father seeing his son. And what's happening in the transaction here? It. He's going to see verse eleven of the travail of his soul. He's going to see how he suffered. The Father's going to watch it and happen. And the Father's going to let it happen and let it be because it needs to be. It has to be. Then he says, and shall be satisfied. That all satisfying sacrifice that was offered for you and I for our sins. He bore our sacrifice, folks. He became, come back with me to 2 Corinthians 5. Hold on to Isaiah 53 or just get back there to it. 2 Corinthians 5, notice how Paul says this. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 5. Um, First mistake this morning. Actually, the first mistake this morning was parking the Corvette. (laughs) You work on that. 1 Corinthians 5, look at verse 7. By the way, after service this morning, I think we're going to have a fundraiser, and uh, I think I can beat that Camaro that's sitting out there. Okay. <laughs> anyway, 1 Corinthians 5. Look at verse 7. Oh, there's two Camaros sitting out there. I'm sorry. Well, I'll take one of. I'll take you both on. Okay. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Boy, isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? He's going to go through the details and the plans to be our propitiation. And you know what Christ says? He's our Passover. Paul says he's our sacrifice. Come over to Ephesians 5. If you think about this, folks, I tell you what, life gets sweeter and sweeter by the day. And the struggles that we have in life, whether it's married or family or job or just going to the grocery store and trying to pick out which cookie to buy, the problems of life seem nothing when you think about what Christ did for you and I, did for all of humanity. Ephesians 5 verse 1 Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a, notice that, sweet-smelling savor. Why is that? He was made to be that sacrifice. Now come back to 2 Corinthians 5. You see, folks, Isaiah 53, he was made. A a transformation happened. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, Paul says, For he hath made him, the Father, made the Son, to be sin for us. That means he didn't have it before. Who knew no sin? That we might be made. That word made... Is fantastic. Because when you think about something that's made, that's something, that's an abnormal transformation occurring here. There's something odd happening here to Christ on the cross. Who is Christ? He's the God man, he has no sin. Yet, what would happen? What did the Father cause to happen to him? He called him, caused him to be sin. He caused him to be that sacrifice. Yes, but something happened in Christ that was abnormal, and that's that issue of being made to be sin. And He did it for us. That's wonderful. He took on our Humanity. And in the resurrection, you know what he made? A new humanity. That transformation, uh, come back to, to Isaiah 53. That transformation is what takes place in those three hours of darkness where the Lord is there and he's suffering and he is going through the... The the battle on the cross, as it's called. You're in Isaiah 53, go back to 50, Isaiah 50, in verse 8. He says, He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. And Paul, or the, the Lord there, is talking about the adversary that starts in the Garden of Eden and that enmity that's put there, and that there's, a, there's evil now. There's an adversary. And that battle for good versus evil, if you will, right versus wrong, truth versus lie, culminates at Calvary in those three hours of darkness. And in that moment is where Isaiah 53, verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to make him, To see his soul suffer. It pleased the father to do that because he has the plan. He has something going on because no mortal man could do this. Only the son could do this. You go back up to verse 3. He is despised. That's talking about the son. And rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He's marred physically. And you know what? They rejected him. He was an object of hate. He was an object of rejection. Verse 10 he hath put him to grief when thou makest his soul. I don't know if you've ever thought about the Lord having a soul, but he does. The very nature, the identity. In his identity is where the transformation took place, his countenance is marred. Verse 11. He shall see his soul travail. He sees the, the sacrifice of Calvary. Go back up to verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs he ha- and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Now, real quick, contextual, the hour, the, he, the we, this is all Israel, this is But look at what he did. What we learned through Paul and the revelation given to the Apostle Paul is that when he did this, he was doing it now for all men. Here's very specific, okay? Read verse, wherever we left off, there's five. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cast off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. His soul. Look, look at what happened to the suffering. The justice here. Verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgression, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgression. Again, notice many, all context of Israel. But what does he do? He comes in and he becomes their Messiah, their Savior, their Redeemer. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you run over there quickly, Paul, the revelation given to Paul, 1 Timothy 2 verse 3, he comes in and he said, Paul says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will. Here's the will of God. Nothing hoodly-doo out there mystical, you know. If I thought the will of God worked that way, the will of God would be for me to sit in that Corvette for the rest of my days, right? Why? Because, boy, it so, brought me such wonderful peace and joy. So it's got to be the will of God, right? None of that nonsense. Who will have what? All men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Notice, the man. Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You see, folks, we know something the prophet Isaiah didn't know. Isaiah is talking to his people in Israel and all this, and we know now that Christ is what? He's the Savior of all men, especially them that believe. Come back with me to Psalms 22. Psalms 22. You see, folks, the propitiatorial act is not some thing made in Hollywood, made to look spectacle. It's a transaction between the father and the son where the father says, Son, you're going to have to go through this. You're going to have to be transformed. And you know what the son said? Oh, put me in, put me in. Let's go. woohoo! let's go. He was that excited to do it. By the way, you know how you know that? Hebrews 12. For the joy that was set before him... He endured the cross. What fanatic would enjoy going through what he went through, except that he knew what? He knew the plan. He knew about a little thing called resurrection, and he understood that. And he had faith in the word of his father that on the third day up from the grave he arose, and it was going to happen. And the father had faith in his son to do the plan, to work the plan. Psalms 22, great passage here. Think about his soul. Verse 20, deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. I I look at that, I go, darling from, my darling from the power of the dog my soul. Come over to Psalms 35. You know, the verses just start flowing on this stuff, folks. Look at Psalms 35. Look at verse 17. Lord, how long will thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lion. When he says, deliver my darling, he's talking about his soul. That's what he's talking about. Come over to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. Psalm 69, verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters are come in unto my soul. I sink in the deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into the deep waters where the floods overflow me. You know, he is describing what death is doing to his soul. When people die, and they die in sin... It isn't absent from the body and present with the Lord. It's like they are drowning and the flood comes in and we're in a deep mire. Drop down to verse 18. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my... He, you know what he's crying here is my father, my God, we're going to go back to Psalms 22. He says, hey, what, look at what's happening here. 22.1, what does he say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so, so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, Psalm 69.3 there, he's screaming, he's crying out. He's, hey, look at what's happening here to me. Because he's describing what death does to the soul of the lost. Because he's been transformed. He's experiencing it. He's becoming the propitiation. And he says, why are you rejecting me? Why are you so far from me? Why are you forsaking me? And he remembers, oh, verse 3, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praise... You know, Habakkuk says over there, he's can't, holy eyes can't look upon sin. Verse 2, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. No response. Now think about this. For three and a half years, God the Father and God the Son have been in complete communion one with another. The Son learning from the Father, the Father teaching the Son, all of this. And now the, s- the heavens are silent. Why? Because what has happened to to the Lord Jesus Christ? He has been made sin. And God the Father can't look upon sin. Verse 3 is why the Father can't look. Why? Verse 1 and 2? Because He's what? He's holy. The Father will not respond, He's dead. He's, he's the object he's been made sin verse 8 he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him boy there there's where resurrection is he trusted him think about that he trusted on the Lord verse 6 there we, we kind of quit up uh, I am but I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised of the people you see that word worm in the Hebrew it means red maggot you think about a pile of maggots you ever gone by a dead dead animal on the side of the road and it's all bloated up and you popped it and wo oh, give <laughs> me chills thinking about it no don't do it I don't either I go the other way right but that's what just a the souls of the lost is just nothing but a maggot, a big pile of maggots. And you know what the you know what the son said? That's okay. I died for him. And the father says, "Yes, you did. You're the answer." If you look there, at verse seven: All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out of the lip. They shake the head, saying. He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But but thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Notice the response. And this is all in the mind there. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. No help. The father's nowhere. He trusted on the father. That's what verse 8 says. That's what they're mocking him with. You trusted the Lord. Said so the Lord was delivering you. The, where is he? You say that. Where did he go? He ain't here. He must take... You know, I think about Elijah with the Baal guys. What's he on? Vacation? You know, shoot him another email. Send him a text. That's what they're doing to the Lord here. Drop down to verse 19 but be not thou far from me O Lord O my strength haste thee to help me deliver my soul from the sword my darling from the power of the dog the transaction between the father and the son has been made where the the son has been made to be sin. He's been made the object. He's been made the propitiation. And he's done the deed. He's followed through. And when they go, come back to Matthew 28. When they come to the tomb... And he is there. When Jesus Christ cries, I am a worm, back there in Psalms 22. And he says, the dogs are all about me. The Gentiles are the dogs. Calvary is there. You've got the leadership of the nation of Israel. You've got Rome, the Gentiles. And they're all mocking him ridiculing him if you're the king come on down you say who you you know you can just hear him and he doesn't he looks up and he says it is finished it's all done seven times the lord speaks to fulfill scripture and when it is done he bowed his head and he gave up his ghost and the Roman centurion that comes around to break the legs and to get them to die on off so that they can get the, get the bodies down for the festivals and everything, he comes to the Lord, and guess what? He's already dead. So he's got to stick him with the sword in the side. By the way, to fulfill scripture. But his comment, At the end of verse 54 of chapter 27 says, truly this was the Son of God. You see, the Roman soldiers, they knew what death looked like. They knew what it looked like for someone to die. And when they watched Christ die, they knew something was different. That this was no ordinary human. Because as christ hangs there his head is erect you know what the two thieves look like he wasn't he doesn't bow his head until the very end that's an oddity by the way they know that and you know what they know this something's different about this guy because death doesn't look like Matthew 28, the ladies come. In the the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. You read the other accounts, and they're worried about how to roll the stone back, and they're having a great conversation. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it, and his countenance was likened. Uh, was light lightning and his raiment white as snow. and the, for the fear of the keepers did shake and became as dead men. By the way, when the soldiers pass out, they go later and they give an account and they got a lie, okay? The reason they passed out was because the angels showed up. So if you ever think you saw an angel, you would, you'd pass out dead, like dead. I mean you don't die, you faint. Okay, so if you ever hear someone say, oh, my angel sitting right over here, and no, it ain't. Because even these hardened guys, it laid them out. Anyway, verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. I'll come over to 1 Corinthians 15. You see, when he said that, they rolled the stone back not so that Christ could get out, because he went right up through the, the rooftop. They rolled the stone out so that they could do what? Go in and see where he laid. Why? Because he ain't here. He's gone, he's risen. And you read 1 Corinthians 15. The end of this chapter, verse 54, So when this corruption shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that it is written, Isaiah 25, Death is swallowed up in victory. Isn't that fantastic? You and I, one day, we're going to get a new body. We're going to get raptured out of here. And you know what's going to happen? That will be said of you and I. That's who Paul's talking in context. But who is he talking about? Calvary. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, where is our victory? It's in Him. Why, though? Because of verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And what did he do in his resurrection? He destroyed death. Now look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Boy, isn't it, wouldn't it be great to be steadfast and unmovable? And instead of tossed to and fro by every wind of nonsense that comes along. But how do we... Be this, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain, where? In the Lord. You, boy, what a tremendous. Folks, resurrection, Easter Sunday. We, that's why I say we celebrate it every day, because if he doesn't resurrect, then we don't have anything To say and be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It all hinges on his resurrection. It all hinges on the propitiatorial act of the Savior. That agreement between the Father and the Son to go do something and then to turn and allow humanity to participate based upon humanity's volition. Never override it. Never make them do it, but rather say, here's what life looks like. Here's what death looks like. You choose. Choose life. You know, it's a wonderful morning. It's a wonderful time. You're thinking about Christ. You're thinking about resurrection. And yet, I hope you will be there. (laughs) I hope you have trusted in Christ. Again, we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about walking the aisle. We're just talking about faith. In Romans 3.25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. The father had faith in the shed blood of his son. Guess where we're supposed to have it? Same place. If you're here this morning and you've never thought about salvation, never thought about this, just coming along because it's Easter Sunday, you need to think about where your soul is going to spend eternity. It's that critical. It's that important to know for sure where you're going to spend eternity. And it's simple. It's just trusting the finished work of Calvary. It's just trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that his activity, his payment took care of it all. And boy, if you trust that, heaven sing, angels sing, heaven shout. Earth moves, spiritually speaking, okay? And if you're here this morning and you are saved, don't get too far from Calvary. Because even when you're dealing with the details of life, no matter what they are, it all hinges at Calvary. That's a great thing. It's good to be reminded of that. Because lately it's just gotten dirty and rotten and stinky life I'm talking about but you know what life in Christ the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath what set me free that's where freedom is okay think about that enjoy your day with your family and your things that you do enjoy the restaurants if you can get in them or don't but don't get too far from Calvary in your thinking. Okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that we are in your Son. We thank you for your plan of wisdom, your plan of simplicity, that as we go day by day that we too can rely in that plan and do as the Savior did, and that is delight in doing it. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll stand. We'll sing a song.